one o'clock and time for the services from the Calvary Baptist Church of Gainesville. Now, Pastor Raymond Laddie. If you would today, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to start with verse 15. We're going to look at the sequel, if you will, to David defeating Goliath. We tend to go down the road of the giant, you know, and we know the, the account and the writings about David and Goliath when he was a boy. But David, in the spirit of Awana and our ministries here, whether it be Sunday school or, or Wednesday night, David set an example. You know, David was the, uh, the line of, of Jesus. You know, the, the root of David is Jesse. Uh, Christ said, I'm the root and the offspring of David. He's saying that line is how my father sent me into the world. And we'll look at that here in, in just a moment. But as David got older and he went through the ups and downs of being a king and he was given the keys to Jerusalem by their siege of Jerusalem that, that were taken over by an invading army, you know, the man that crawled up the, the water duct and got inside and got the key to open the door from the inside speaks of Christ so David could enter and David would be given the keys to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But David began a school, if you will, of giant killers, of giant killers. And there were giants killed here and there, but we'll see that David, as a young man full of faith, with no armor and, you know, very, very little of the things that the world says that you need to be successful when you're fighting giants uh, in those ways. David didn't have any of those, but he had faith, and he had a unction or a determination or a firm persuasion in his life that God was to be stood up for, that God was to be fought for, that his people were to be defended, his people were to be saved. And we see the picture of Jesus here in David. But David got older. He fought battles and sinned and had the ups and downs of life. And David got older and they still fought the Philistines. The Philistines were a menace and a formidable enemy to the Israelites under the leadership of David for many, many, many years. Many of them were giants. Many of them were the, the descendants of the Canaanites and were some of the same people. But the giant killing wasn't over. And we tend to read the story of David and Goliath and see that David killed the giant. He did so with God's help, with faith. You know, God used his skill as a... Uh, slinger, as a shepherd, as a defender of the flock, if you will, but he used it because of David's faith. You know, there's still giants to be killed today. Matter of fact, I would contend with you, based on the world that we live in, that it seems like there's more giants on the horizon now than there were in the days of David and, and Jonathan and those men in the early days of Israel. I believe there's giants coming at us from all directions and those giants take different forms. They take the forms of, of faithlessness. How hard it is now to get people interested in anything it, with the, the things of God. David's um, uh, God, Satan, I should say, has deceived so many people and, and got, their, got their love and their attention and their effort somewhere else toward the world. He's very clever at doing that. That's a giant. Another giant is, is the economy now. Uh, you know, another giant is uh, the decline of the church in general, the, what I call the true church and how it's declined. There's so many giants out there. There's the, the looming giant of persecution toward the churches. 
that will be triggered one day. There's the giant of seeming like, you know, the light of the world, the, 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 the light of the nations in America is dimming. So many giants, and, and, and it can take, uh, you know, the place in our lives of, of family or uncertainty or mourning or death or not understanding those things. Those are the giants. They're still there, and they will be as long as Satan is given dominion over the earth and sin resides. There'll always be, be giants, but we are not to face those giants alone. We don't have to face those giants alone. We have a tool that is greater than a spear or a sling or a bow or a, or a shield. We have all those things spiritually. So David, we're going to see here, began a school of giant slayers because David got older. If we pick up with verse 15, it says, Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. David, this tough, tough, headstrong warrior, this shepherd who had lived out, you know, under the stars for a lot of his life, this man who had been through so much and had done so much for God and God had done through him, this man, after God's own heart, was getting older. He was tiring. He got out after these Philistines who were great fighters and who were great warriors, he got tired. He didn't have the physical stamina that he used to have. He couldn't wield though, that, that armor and those spears and that sling like he used to. He could probably do it very well for the first 30 or 45 minutes, but as, as time went on, he became exhausted. And that kind of ancient warfare, those men, it was physically taxing. We, we couldn't understand it today. Carrying a shield, carrying armor, carrying... Spears, carrying all those things and facing down an enemy that's bigger than you, it was unbelievably physically taxing. And that's why we see elite warriors under David. There were some that could do it and some that could not. So David gets exhausted. And when you become exhausted and people are throwing these weapons at you and trying to kill you, when, when they're looking down at David right there and thinking, if we can kill him, not only will we kill the king, but we'll... Uh, deal a psychological blow to these Israelites, you got a problem. One misstep and you could be killed. And it says in verse 16 in Ishbi Banab, some interesting names here, Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of Rapha. Rapha was a race of giants, a city of giants that went back pre flood, and here is post flood, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels. That's 12 pounds. A spearhead weighed 12 pounds, and not, not counting the staff that it was on, which probably weighed another 10 or 15 pounds, this man was a giant. He was not completely human. He had some uh, the fallen angels' uh, DNA going on there too. Some of them were left over. So Ishbi Banab, it says, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose spearhead weighed 12 pounds, and who had a new sword, which would have been a very large sword, said, I'm going to kill David. You see, they still remembered what happened with Goliath. They remembered the defeats. They remembered all those things. It was warfare. They were seeking to get vengeance for what these Israelites under David had been able to accomplish. So he saw David drop something. He saw David trying to get his breath. He saw the, the, maybe the, the wispy gray hair that had come about in David's beard. Uh, maybe he was a lot ruddier than he had been before because he was exhausted, he was getting older, and he said, weakness. Weakness. 
I'm going for him. I am Ishbi Banab. I'm a giant. I'm a great warrior. If I can kill him, not only will be will be victorious, but I will make a name for myself. But Abishai, who is one of the men that followed David and was a great warrior, saw his king in distress, saw his king under danger, and he jumped into action. He jumped into action here. And it says he was the son of Zariah. He came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. You see, he had followed in the footsteps of what we're looking at here is the original giant killer, David. He was looking at his example. He was maybe looking at the techniques that David used, but yet he looked to David and saw David's faith. He remembered or heard stories or maybe was a boy when David killed Goliath. He knew what it took to kill a giant because it had been exemplified or modeled for him. Hey, let me tell you something today. Our kids and these kids that we're trying to minister to, to or anybody who may be young in their faith, they're going to know how to face down worldly giants by our example. Now, the Bible says do this, that, and the other, and that's most important. But people now and these kids, they've got to see that it's real in your life. They watch you. They look and see what you say and how you say it. They watch out of the corner of your eye, you know, out of the corner of their eye. I mean, you, Miguel was listening to come up with Jesus' tooth. I mean, he followed me right down the road, and I kind of set up for that, I guess, not meaning to. They want to see that it's real in our lives. They want to see that many times when it, when it seems like we're going to be overwhelmed with a world that we have to go to the ultimate giant slayer, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when you deal with these children, they're seeing something in the week, during the week with you that they don't see with so many other people. They're seeing you here at a place they call we call church. And they these kids have no basic knowledge of, of God's Word or any kind of Bible stories. They're unreached. Imagine that, right under our noses in the Bible Belt. I spoke of that last week. So many unreached people. And me and Kim were talking about it last Sunday, Good Samaritan. They're coming up with, and they may already be doing it. I didn't get that information. They're, they have a, uh, I guess, a division now or a ministry team that are trying to reach the unreached kids in the United States. So wherever we go in the world, that's great, but they're also looking here now and saying, there's more unreached kids than there ever has been probably in the United States because we live in a postmodern world and Christ and the gospel and the church has pretty much largely been rejected by the last two generations. So they're noticing that, and, and it's going to change. It's like, the way we do things, the way we approach ministry is going to change at lightning speed as we go forward for different reasons but it must go forward. Amen? Not going to be that easy many times, and that's where you lose a lot of people. But following Jesus and promoting the gospel is never easy. It's never easy. So this young man, Abisha, saw his king in trouble, and he jumped in there and killed the giant. He became one of the giant killers, you might say. 
So then he said, the men were concerned when they saw this. And they took David aside after the battle, and they swore to him and said, Hey, David, king, oh, great king, right here. He said, never, never again, they said, will you go out with us to battle? Boy, that's, that would have been something for David to hear, wouldn't it? That you've gotten old, David. We cannot have you killed. You're the king. And they went on to say here that... We cannot allow the lamp of Israel or the light of Israel to be extinguished. We cannot allow that you, David, to be killed is what they're saying because of what it would mean all over the region, you see. So, you know, David had to kind of stop and go, wait a minute, I led these guys. I, I, you know, I pioneered this kind of warfare. God used me. Remember all the things that I did? But thankfully here, David, a man after God's own heart, in his old age, coming down to the end of his life, was wise enough to understand that he was no longer that young man who killed the lions and the bears and who killed Goliath and countless other great warriors of all of Israel's enemies. But all was not lost because as he went into retirement, as he began to turn things over to the next ruling class or, you know, toward God's way or whatever it would be leading up to Solomon, he had paved the way and laid the groundwork for more giant killers, more giant slayers. And that's what we're trying to do here. Hey, you say, I'm not a giant slayer. Well, in Christ you are. If you, if you believe in Jesus and you follow him, he's given you the tools to be able to slay giants with his help in your life, to be able to move past sin, to be able to do something in the church, serve in the church, do a job, do a position that you never thought you could do. Maybe he's moved you here from somewhere else. He's slaying those giants. How many of you have got a good medical report here lately? Giants are being slayed. It's a giant thing when somebody comes and tells you, you may have this, you may have that. We don't know, and we don't know what we can do about it if we find out you have it. And then in the meantime, you go to the great giant slayer. You go to Jesus, the great physician, and by faith in him, he slays that giant. Now, some giants, it seems like overwhelm us, but he is still in control. He still can slay those giants, and we can slay the giants that beset us in his name and with his power and by faith in him. Verse 18, we're not done with the giant slayers. In the course of time, they fought the Philistines again at a place called Gob. They had some funny names, didn't they? Gob. At that time, Sabachai, the Hushtath, killed Saph. Now, you would not have laughed at him in his name because he was a formidable giant. He could have probably crushed you with his one hand. Saph was defeated by another giant slayer who had watched and looked at and followed David and Goliath, or as David killed Goliath. They knew how to kill these giants. They knew where their weaknesses were. You see, we can know the weaknesses of our adversaries, whether they be political or, or economical or whatever, and we can... With our armor on, Ephesians 6, we can know what those weaknesses are and we can use them to our advantage. People who deny Jesus and who are hostile toward Christ, if you know the truth, they cannot stand with you one-on-one. -on -one. They'll deny it and they'll 
make excuses and they'll say, well, that's contradictory, and they'll end up losing that battle if you know the truth and you humbly approach them. I had a lady walk away from me this week at work. She started the conversation, and I went talked about some biblical things of why that was. And about halfway through it, she just turned and walked off. He did not want to hear it. Giant slayers. And not that she's an enemy. She's not my enemy. You know, I was trying to talk to her and help her and explain some things to her. She had a Catholic, has a Catholic background uh, from up north. And I guess she didn't want to hear what a fat hillbilly Southern Baptist preacher had to say. But I know what God's word says for the most part. I know... I know how to explain myself and to defend myself and defend the cause of Christ. And I was not ugly to her, but she just turned and walked off. So conversation over. If you know the truth, it don't matter what Joe Biden says. If you know the truth, it doesn't matter what some of these other so-called world leaders say. They cannot hold a candle to you standing on the truth. They can take some things for it from you, and they can strike fear into your heart. But at the end of the day, you serve the ultimate giant slayer, amen, from the root of David and is the offspring of David. So Saph went down. He went down hard because this man, Sebechai, killed him. In another battle with the Philistines at the same place called Gob, Elhanan, the son of Jair Orjim, the Bethlehemite, he was a Jew from Bethlehem, killed Goliath the Jatite who had a spear and a shaft like a weaver's rod. That's big. That was, a, that was a massive, I couldn't pick that up and throw it, I guarantee you. But he had learned from the giant slayer. He had had a teacher, but he, had, he knew that his teacher's faith and real power came from God Almighty to them at this point, Yahweh, and it would ultimately, ultimately be manifested in, in Jesus and Elohim and Yeshua in the days to come through this line of David. Many of these that were killed were relations to Goliath. There was a vengefulness there. There was a, uh, a, a desire to get revenge. And then, this is interesting, in verse 20, and still another battle which took place at Gath. Who was from Gath? Anybody remember? Goliath from Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers, on each hand and six toes on each foot. Six fingers and six toes. I did some reading on that. There's a medical term for that. It's a physical abnormality. It's not as rare as you think it is in society. Normally what happens now is when that does happen, they'll remove that digit so that that child, that individual, can have a more normal life. But it happens. Not only was he fearsome as a warrior... But you might say he was kind of a freakish giant because not only did he have, uh, you know, the size, the girth, the experience, the, the strength, but he had this physical abnormality. He was not almost completely human, you might say, in some ways. These were descendants of uh, spiritual gods who slept with... Um, Angels, fallen angels who slept with the, uh, the women, uh, human women. But that's a different uh, story. All of these giants were led by what I call the lowercase g gods. They had, they had all these pagan gods that they followed. 
They worship a god of, of warfare. They worship the god of, of the sun and of the moon, and they sacrifice to these gods. Well, those same gods that are just fallen demons that still exist are, are back in society and in the world today in more force than they have been. Demon-led and possessed people. That's a different sermon. So this man who probably could grip a spear even better if he could use that six finger on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 digits in all. He also was descended from Rapha. He was one of the, one of the race of giants. He taunted Israel just like Goliath did. And while David was retired and in the background and seemingly weak, he had trained up a new generation of warriors. And he said, you go into battle fearlessly. You go into battle with God leading you. You go into battle knowing that you're on the good side. We should not be dismayed when we stand against these giants that we're facing today. We need to realize that if we're on the right side, that it's okay and good to proceed with godly discernment. That it's okay for us to stand up and say, that's wrong. No matter what your family says, no matter what your boss says, no matter if people walk away from you, right is right and wrong is wrong. Because that has been uh, denied and, and walked away from and there's so much gray area, that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Right is right and wrong is wrong. But yet... There is forgiveness. And even in our own lives, personally, we have to ask the Lord to help us see that that's right and that's wrong. And we as individuals have to deal with that between us and God. That's right and this is wrong. Take care of the wrong. As David said, point out any iniquity in my heart and help me to deal with it, to, be, to get forgiveness. So this man stood and he taunted Israel. Christians today are taunted. They're persecuted, still not so much in this country as in other places, but they're taunted and persecuted, made fun of. With all the seemingly packaged up in a giant, that, with all the seemingly indulgent things out there, what feels good, what your, your truth, we hear today, you know, you do what your truth tells you to do. Well, my truth is Jesus, and he says live this way, and he says act right, I love you. Repent and move forward. That's my truth. I don't want to hear it sometimes, and I run away from it sometimes. That's real truth. And when you have the real truth as your foundation, you can stand against giants. Amen? You believe that? You can. You can stand against giants. may seem defeated sometimes, but that defeat can lead to a greater victory because that's how God does things. When he taunted Israel, a man named Jonathan who happened to be David's nephew, David's nephew, his sister's boy, stood up and said, I've seen what my uncle done. I remember when you taunted him and my ancestors in that army that day, and I'm about to show you what happens when you do that. I'm coming for you. So he did. So this man who had all these fingers and all these toes and was taunting and said, look at me, I can crush you. Like Goliath said, you're, but look at these dogs, you're a dog. And I'll kill you like a dog. Back in David's time, Jonathan, son of Shemiah, David's brother, I should say, killed him. Killed him. 
We don't know if he done it with a sling. We don't know if he did it with a spear. We don't know if he put an arrow between his eyes or in the soft spot of his armor. We don't know, but the fact of the matter is that they were victorious. The name of Yahweh was avenged. The house of David was preserved. And it says in verse 22, These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, these giants, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. In a time of warfare, in a time of ancient distress, you might say, God was there, and he empowered the people that he had made a promise to, beginning with Abraham. He empowered them. Because in the big picture, he was going through this line of David. When they took David out and preserved his life and allowed him to die an old warrior, through his line would come the greatest warrior. A warrior in ways that men cannot be a warrior. A warrior against hell. A warrior against eternal damnation. Jesus Christ himself. I want to go over, and by the way, this account is also... In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 4 through 8. And I'm not going to read through that because it's very similar to the uh, rest of uh, what we read back in Samuel. But I want to go to Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 7. This is the time of the angel speaking to the churches in the end times. And here we pick up with the church in Philadelphia because something said here that is literally the key for us today. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When you hold a key, you have possession of something. You have the ability to enter or to leave that place. My front door, my kids and wife are going to laugh at me, my front door <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> my front door is unique in that I had to take the lock off of it one day to get in before I went to work. I locked myself out, and I had a bunch of places I had to be. Make a long story short, I put a new lock on it, but I put it on backwards to this day. Chad came over one day and said, you know your lock's on backwards, and I said, it works. So the only way you can lock the door from the inside, it doesn't lock at the knob. You have to use the deadbolt. And uh, so we keep a key on the outside because you have to lock it from the outside when you leave. It's similar to most locks, but just in a weird way that I do things. And then we hide the key. I'm not going to show you where that key is, but if we lose that key, we're in trouble. Amen? And I'm not going to tell you where that key is because somebody I know will come and hide it, probably a Lancaster or, you know, maybe a Long. So I'm not going to tell you where that thing's at. But that key is key. Amen? For us to get in and out of our house. So when we go and come, that key has to be put in a, you know, the same place every time or, or close to it. In this verse, where he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Who holds the key of David? Exactly. Jesus holds the key to life and death. Because he descended... When he hung on the cross, he descended into hell, and he took possession of that key. Okay? And then he came back up, just like the man who entered the water pipe to unlock the gates of Jerusalem for David and his mighty men to enter at an earlier time. You see, Jesus had to do the same things. He had to descend 
into hell, to suffer our eternity in hell, pay for all our sins, past, present, and future, and he holds the key for us. That's what he's saying here. I hold the key of David. Another, another thing he's saying, too, that the world needs to take note of as, you know, Saudi Arabia is starting to back out of this peace deal with Israel because they say that land's not theirs. Surprise, surprise. Is that he holds the key to the possession of the city of Jerusalem. The city is still his. That's David. That was David's kingdom. Zion, the city on the hill, David's realm, Israel. God holds the key to that. Christ holds the key to that. It's still his land. It's still the promised land. Okay, And it doesn't matter what any worldly or earthly ruler does to try to thwart that. God says it's mine and I'm going to fight for it when they come after it. And I'll judge those nations who help try to turn that over. In other words, the Saudis still have a map and they said we cannot go through with this peace deal right now. We've got to put it on hold because our map still says Palestine. Instead of Israel, Palestine's a place that 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 uh, is been a deception. Okay, the key for us is Jesus. He holds the key, just like he held the key for David and those men who defeated those giants. He holds the key for us to be able to defeat those giants that come in our life. And there's going to be more and more giants. There's going to be the giants of health scares. There's going to be the giants of of uh, less care and concern for the things of God. There's going to be the giants of self-doubt. There's going to be the giants of our doubting our salvation. There's going to be the giants that says these kids aren't worth ministering to, the, 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 the church isn't worth it, and these things aren't worth it. But I say they are. 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Welcome to the New 